You remember what it's like learning how to ride a bike, sitting on the bike for the first time and you're holding the handlebars and you're pedaling and your mom or dad is probably right there behind you holding the seat so that you don't fall kind of running along with you and you're beginning to get it and you've got the smile on your face, you're feeling good and so you yell to your mom and dad, let go, let go, I've got it. And so then they give you what you want and there for the first few pedals, I mean, it's just this sense of exhilaration, this sense of freedom, you're in control control. But then you know what happens, right? It happens to all of us. That front tire, it starts shaking and you know this thing is going down. And so then you're making a decision. What kind of body part am I going to sacrifice? Is it going to be the elbow? Is it going to be the knee? What is it? Because there's a crash coming. You yell for your mom and dad, but they're too far back now. They can't catch you in time. There's a crash coming. You wanted to be free and now you are. That's a tough moment, isn't it? When you get exactly what you wanted. You know, Micah, he's writing to a group of people like that. Uh, it's a group of people who have everything they wanted. And so Micah, he's bringing these three court cases on behalf of God to show the people, hey, you have everything you want, but everything you want is not what you need. This is a time of prosperity. A lot is going on in Micah's day. And so when you read, especially this last court case of Micah, it's almost as if you're reading today's headlines. They're so similar. And so we're going to see that this morning as we dive in that human beings haven't really changed that much. Let's go ahead, check it out. We're going to be in Micah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 6 through 16, and then we'll jump ahead to Micah chapter 7, verses 18 through 20. Micah writes, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat, but not be satisfied and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve. And what you preserve, I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourself with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab. And you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing. So you shall bear the scorn of my people. And then jumping ahead to chapter 7, verse 18. Who is like you, God, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. 
You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. We don't know a lot about the prophet Micah. I mean, compared to some other minor prophets, we know a little bit, but we still know as much as we'd like to know. As we talked about last week, we do know a little bit. We know where he's from. We know he's preaching primarily to the southern kingdom Judah, but also has a message for the northern kingdom Israel. This message, this third court case, is going to be directed to the southern kingdom Judah. You know, we also know that Micah was a contemporary of Isaiah. They're actually the two prophets who both said they went around barefoot and naked. They're the fruit of the loom prophets. And we know that a couple centuries later that Jeremiah would write about Micah. And he would write and he'd say, oh, if you would have just treated me the way that you treated Micah, that'd be really nice. Why? Because they're throwing Jeremiah in a well trying to get him to be quiet. And Micah, hey, all they did, if you remember from last week, they just yelled at Micah to stop talking. They didn't want to hear it anymore. Why? Because as they looked around Judah, they said things were good. This is a time of peace. This is a time of prosperity. But if they would have just looked to the north, they would have seen that the handwriting was already on the wall. The northern kingdom Israel, it was weakening. At the same time, Assyria was strengthening. The demise of the northern kingdom was at hand. But Judah... She didn't want to see any of that. She didn't want to focus and look that way. Why? Because things were so good in the southern kingdom. It was a time of peace and prosperity. And so even the priests were saying, hey, God is with you. I mean, just look, you got everything you want. You had this material blessing. It is the blessing of God. God is with us. Problem is, he wasn't. He wasn't with them because what was going on in Judah was evil. This was the most prosperous time in Judah's history other than the time of David and the time of Solomon. But they were regaining all of that wealth. They were getting back to that level of prosperity and influence. They were skilled traders and they had uh, talented artisans and they, they were positioned in such a place where global trade was good. And so things were were good. They had it all. And this is what they were focused on. And they were saying, hey, we're happy. Everybody's happy, but not Micah. Micah wasn't happy because Micah could see the handwriting on the wall. He knew what was happening. He knew the greatest threat to Judah. And that was from within. It wasn't from without. It wasn't an outside threat who was going to be strong and powerful and come and take them over. No, Judah was losing her strength because her spiritual and moral fiber was decaying. And so as her spiritual and moral fiber were fraying, centuries later, Babylon would see this weakness and they would know Judah is ripe for attack. See, they lost their edge because they lost their compass. They forgot who they were. If you want to be strong then you invest in your spiritual and moral foundation. And we know the story. We see it in the book of Micah. We see it in Isaiah. We see what happens. These very prosperous people making money, getting rich, and all this prosperity just opens the door to the sin of greed. Now, all of a sudden, having enough was not enough. You wanted more. You had to have it all. Being successful wasn't good enough. You had to be ultra successful. You had to be the biggest of the biggest, the best of the best. See, when success and prosperity reaches this point, 
where you have enough, but enough doesn't satisfy, well, you get to greed real fast. And you're no longer happy with what you have. You have to have it all. See, this is exactly what happened in Judah. And so what's happening when you have to have it all, what happens? Well, you seek influence wherever you can get it. You want to control whatever you can control. And so the judicial system became corrupt because the people who had, well, if they were ever brought on trial, they're buying off judges. They're buying off justice. And because of this, Micah, he's going to write in uh, chapter six, verse eight, he writes that, you know what the Lord requires of you? It's to do justice. Why? Because the judicial system is perverted. So those who want I mean, to make sure that they can keep what they have, well, they're buying off justice and judges. Politicians were bought and paid for. I mean, this is rampant of the day. It's amazing, isn't it? You're going through and you're reading and you're almost asking yourself, am I reading scripture or am I reading today's headlines? I mean, what are, what are we studying here after all? See, this is Micah. This is Judah. This is what's happening. This is what's going on. And Micah says that you think because you have so much, you're able to please God because of your material wealth. He says, what, 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 do, you, what do you think it's to yourself? That you're just going to go, and, hey, here's, here's a thousand rams. Here's 10,000 rivers of oil. Hey, I'll offer my firstborn for my transgression. Here's all this. I'll get, what, what do you want? God, here's the finest sacrifices in the lamb. Surely I will please him. And Micah says, don't you know what God requires of you? You do know, after all. You know that what he requires of you is to do justice, to love kindness, mercy, and to walk humbly with God. How long is God just going to sit back as you pervert the scales of justice? How long is he going to allow you just to speak lies? How long is he going to allow you to build up treasures as a result of your wickedness? There is a judgment coming for all this. It's time to wake up. It's not all just rainbows and gummy bears here. This is the message of Micah to wake up that you don't want, that what you want you have, but what you want you don't really need. And then in the early part of chapter 7, he talks about your kids. He says, look at your kids. Look, this is how your sons and your daughters behave. They're disrespectful to you. They stand up against you. They, they slander you. you you're, they betray you. And you're wondering where all that came from? It came from you. They learned it from you. When you live a life in front of your children that says, it's all about me, it's all about my happiness. It's all about getting what I want and doing what I want to do. Then don't be surprised when your children turn to you and say, Mom and Dad, it's all about me. It's what I want. It's, it's, it's all about my happiness, what I'm going to do. See, it's the fruit of the decisions that you've made. And the, the people of Judah, they're saying, well, no, my, my children, we, we taught them something different. You know, we, we taught them that they didn't learn that from us. And Mike said, oh, yeah, they did. They saw how you lived your life. They saw what was really important to you. They saw what you really valued. And they're just modeling the same thing. So don't be surprised. Because after all, you didn't really want the things of God. Oh, you might have done some actions. You might have said, hey, how about I give this sacrifice? How about I do this act of service? How, how about I attend this worship service? How about I do these things? But it's not who you are. It doesn't define your life in the Monday through Saturday, the day in, the day out. It's, it's, your life is not defined by Jesus. It's defined by your happiness. And so don't be surprised when you make that decision. 
You make that decision that, hey, I'm going to value something else more than whatever God wants for me. And then your life not turn out the way that you thought it would. Because when you put something else in the center of your life other than God's plans for you, well, then oftentimes your life will begin to fall apart. And you'll wonder, how in the world did I end up here? How did I get here? See, that is the question, is it? What, what does God want for your life? And it's what we know. It's what the people of Judah knew. What does he want? He wants us to do justice. He wants us to love mercy. He wants us to walk humbly with him as he uses us to make disciples. But is that what you want? Do you, do you want to do justice? Do you want to love mercy? Do you want to walk humbly with God as he uses you to make disciples? Is this what you want? See, we understand a Christian by their fruit, by the disciples that they make, by walking in obedience and doing the things that God has called us to do. A Christian invests more and more in their relationship with Jesus. And then that gets evidenced out by the fact that they're making disciples. They're living the Jesus life. A Christian spouse, what do they do? They invest in their relationship with Jesus. And then what happens? The husband begins to love his wife unconditionally. The wife begins to respect her husband unconditionally. You become better spouses. You become better parents. You become better Christians as you invest in Jesus and what he wants. It all begins with Jesus as this foundational relationship. That when that's what you want, that's what you produce. But when you don't want what God wants, when you value something else more, what happens? Micah tells us you begin worshiping false gods. Oh, you might not think they're false gods, but they're false gods. It's the God of success. It's the God of money, the God of fun, the God of family, the God of sports. I mean, take your pick. False gods. And Micah teaches us that when you worship false gods, you end up with false realities. You end up with what you didn't want. And in our culture, oftentimes we have everything we want, and yet we don't end up where we thought we'd be. What is it that that ancient philosopher said? There are two tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting it. See, the punishment is that all these decisions, all these choices that we've made have brought us to that place. That this is exactly where I wanted to be. How do I know this is where I wanted to be? Because my choices have led me here. Except we look and we say, but this is not it. This is not where I want it to be. And that kind of thinking, it's like jumping on 264 East. And if you jump on 264 East from here, where are you headed? You're headed to Virginia Beach. And it always goes to Virginia Beach. And you know you're going to Virginia Beach. I mean, you're on the highway, you're looking, there's signs, it's evident you're headed to Virginia Beach. But you tell yourself, I want to go to the mountains. 264 East is never going to take you to the mountains. You can hop on it time after time after time, day after day after day, and you're always ending up in Virginia Beach. It's never taking you to the mountains. It doesn't matter if you want to end up there. It doesn't matter if you don't think you're going to end up there. You always end up in Virginia Beach. Why? Because you made the choice to get on that highway going in that direction, and that's where that's, this highway leads. It doesn't matter if you want to be in the mountains. When you make the decision to get on that highway, that's where that road leads. The people in Micah's day, they were on a road. 
They were on a road that they wanted to be on. They chose to be on this road of prosperity and happiness that was all about them. But it was taking them to a place where they didn't really want to be. And then they were stunned and they're surprised they got here. I can't believe we ended up here. I can't believe the Babylonians are taking us into captivity. I never thought it would have come to this. But don't you see, that's exactly the choices that they made. It, it led there. Maybe you're on that road too. Maybe you've been on that road. You know what that road feels like where you're making these decisions based on yourself, based on happiness, based on what you want, and you think it's going to lead you to this great place, this place of purpose, this place of destiny, this place of happiness. But you know, deep down, you know that you're just kidding yourself, that it's all a mirage, that it doesn't really get you there, that you're on this highway, but it doesn't take you to the place where you want to end up. It takes you somewhere else. But it's where you want it to be because you chose to go there. So you understand, God takes your choices very seriously. God takes your choices very seriously. The second court case, it was aimed at the religious leaders and the political leaders. And so it would be easy for the people to say, you know what, it's their fault. We've got all this bad leadership. They're leading us in this direction. You know, if we just had some good leaders, things would be much better. They're mistreating us. We're victims. And yeah, they were victimized. But God says, that's, that's not what I intend for you. And so the first and third court cases, these bookend cases, oh, they're against the people. It's not against the leadership. It's about you. It's your fault. It's your fault. Why? Because you allowed their decisions to define you. You allow what they're doing to define you. And Micah says, no. God says, it's your fault. Look at Jesus. Was he victimized? Sure. I mean, he was falsely accused. He was beaten. He was lied about. He was murdered. I mean, all these things. You look at him. Was he a victim? No. He was victimized, but no one would ever classify Jesus as a victim. Why? He was an overcomer. And understand, that's what God wants for you. That, yeah, some people are going to mistreat you. Yeah, this is a sin-cursed world. Bad things are going to happen. Are you going to be defined by the evil? Are you going to be defined by the mistreatment? Are you going to be defined by what God wants for you? See, the people, they were allowing themselves to be defined by their own quest for happiness, their own pursuits. And when things got bad, it was easy to point the finger because, yeah, they had bad leadership. Yeah, they're, they're political leaders, they're religious leaders, they were worthless. But God says, you're not off the hook. It's still on you because I take your choices very seriously. The people, they had their choices to make. And they ended up where they ended up because they chose to be there. And so God holds them accountable. And he says, because of those choices, here is your punishment. And yeah, there's forgiveness and God's going to forgive. And you see that at the end of chapter seven in this rebuilding, this, this God who doesn't hold their iniquity against them forever. But there's still consequences to sin. There's still punishment. It's not, oh man, I'm forgiven and now I don't have to worry about any of that anymore. No, you're still going to have to walk in some of that, bear some of that responsibility. It's like the old Jimmy Buffett song, Margaritaville. You know the lyrics, don't you? You're familiar with it? It's really a song about the human condition. There's, there's, there's a line at the end of that first refrain where he says, some people say there's a woman to blame, but I know 
it's nobody's fault. And what he's singing about in, in this section is just that, hey, he's ended up in this drug-induced, alcohol-induced haze, and he didn't even know how he got the tattoo on his arm. He said, ah, I'm just kind of wasting away here in Margaritaville. And then there's the last line of the song. Some people say there's a woman to blame, but I know it's my own fault. I know it's my own fault. That's a hard one, isn't it? That's a tough pill to swallow when you have to look at yourself in the mirror and you know, nah, it's not, it's not my mom's fault. It's not my dad's fault. It's not situation's fault. It's not just bad luck. It's my fault. The decisions I've made, the choices I've made, what I wanted, it led me here. I, I went down this road, and this is what happens when you go down this road. It's my fault. We are where we are because of our choices. You know, our country's a mess right now. Has been, and we see it. I mean, the evidence is clear. The moral fiber of our country is fraying. And it's not Washington's fault. It's not the Democrats' fault. It's not the Republicans' fault. It's our fault. God has called us as his church to be one thing, to do one thing, to go make disciples. And we look around and we cross our arms and we stomp our feet and we say, oh, look what's happening there's homosexuals getting married. There's babies being killed. There's drugs that are around. Wow, why can't somebody just pass a law? We need the politicians to change. No, it's our fault. It's our fault. Because we haven't stood in the gap. We haven't shown them that marriage is not about our happiness. It's not about a man and a woman just, just being happy and living life together. No, marriage pictures Christ and his church. And when we miss that, when that's not the message we send, and so that we, when pictures Christ in his church, how do we act? Well, I love unconditionally. I respect unconditionally. See, when that's not pictured, when children don't go up and, and seeing this family bond, this place, the family is supposed to be a ministry center. We're stationed in every neighborhood where your neighbors know that is a place of refuge. That is a place of safety. That is a place of peace. That is a place of truth. Your house is to be the sanctuary in your neighborhood. How many of your neighbors think of your house that way? You see, it's our fault. It's our fault. What do we do? We want to pass the buck to Washington. Make a law. And so what happens? We, we go ahead and give Washington the responsibility of caring for the poor. And they will. But it's the church's job. This, this is what we're called to do, to love mercy, to extend hope to the poor. And when we do, when the church does, then we go and we offer them this message of, hey, you are loved, that you have dignity, that you have worth, that you have value because Jesus loves you. Because you're seen from on high. And when it's left to the government, they don't get that message. See, we are where we are because of the choices that we've made, and it's our fault. It's our fault. When our young people grow up and they do whatever they do because they're defined, they have entertainment always at their fingertips, but yet no one telling them, this is who God is and this is who God has made you to be. And so then how are they defined? 
Well, pop culture begins to define them. Their peers begin to define them. The world tells them who they are. See, we have young ladies growing up, and they, they can't look, and they can't look at their dad and say, oh, I know what I expect in a husband because I saw the way that my dad loved my mom. And we have young men who say, I, I know how I'm going to love because I saw the way that my dad loved. And we don't see that. And so then, well, you know, love may be this, love may be that, but love is ultimately about me, my happiness, getting my needs met. See, if you do not speak the truth, if we do not train the next generation, if we do not show them this is who we're made to be, this is, this is how we make disciples, this is what we do, this is who we are, the world will tell them who they are. And the world always gets it wrong. And it's our fault. See, the question comes, what do you really want? I mean, what, what do you really want? Do you want the things of Jesus? Do you want what he's called you to be, who he's made you to be? Because if you really want that, I just want to encourage you, hop into an impact group. You've got to be in a group with other believers who that you can discuss the scriptures with, and you can encourage one another. You'll encourage them, they'll encourage you. You'll hold each other accountable. You'll talk through it. Because you want to progress. You'll be the type of person who views your home as a ministry center. And you're going to leverage the relationships that you have. You're going to be inviting people into your home around the table so you can have those conversations. It's not perfectly. You don't have to have all the answers. Listen, we don't even have all the questions. But we just go through. We do life together. We show them what it looks like to love Jesus and love others. And so you'll be intentional about making disciples. Why? Because this is who Jesus has called you to be. But if that's not what you want, well, you'll get just what you want. You'll end up exactly where you want to be. Except you'll look and you'll say, how did I get here? See, this is the jarring message of Micah. That you get what you want, but, but oftentimes what we want is not what we need. Heavenly Father, God, help us desire to desire what you desire for us. To be a people who do justice, who love mercy, and walk humbly with you as we make disciples wherever it is that we live, work, study, and play. God, we recognize that we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.